Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dialectic from UCLA Law Review. We are lucky to be joined today by Susan Jenko, co-president of the Azoff Company and an adjunct professor at UCLA Law, where she has taught music industry law since 2012 and founded the Music Industry Clinic at the law school. As co-president of the Azoff Company, Professor Jenko oversees a diverse portfolio of prominent entertainment companies in addition to the company's strategic and legislative efforts. Prior to joining the Azoff Company, Professor Jenko has held a variety of executive positions at companies such as Global Music Rights, Guitar Hero with an Activision Blizzard, Warner Brothers Records, Capital, and Arista Records. Susan has been featured in Billboard Magazine's Women in Music as Executive of the Year and in their Hall of Fame, in addition to being repeatedly included in Billboard Magazine's Power 100. Susan is also a founder of the Music Artist Coalition, an artist advocacy group giving music creators a voice on national and local issues. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Jacob. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Well, do you mind just to get started, like tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I think you just read it all. <laughs> what is there to add? Um, yeah, I am. I, I'm. I'm stuttering because I just went to see Bono of U2 do this incredible book reading performance. And I noted that he just is such a fantastic storyteller and he never stuttered. There was not one pause, not one. Um, so I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling like he set the bar very high. <laughs> Um, well, I guess that's a good place to start. I mean, my my background is I grew up in Buffalo, New York, where bands like U2 and, and R.E.M. came and changed my world and never had any musical talent. Um, and then but then figured out that there was, in fact, a way to be involved in music if you had other talents. And so post law school, I found my way to Arista Records under the tutelage of Clive Davis, who's a legendary figure in the music business on the record side. And I started in business affairs and worked at the major labels and um, have now found my way, as my boss likes to say, to the side of good. And I now work, uh, as you said, at the Azov Company, where we really try to build, nurture, develop companies that are disruptive positively for artists and fans. And I get to put my law degree to work. Um, even though I don't practice, it really I find it really beneficial as I think through a lot of the issues that our portfolio companies face. Did you, when you went to law school, did you know that you wanted to focus on music law or the entertainment industry in general? Yes, I knew that I wanted, I didn't know what a music lawyer was, but I knew I wanted to be one. <laughs> I had, it was my roommate after college who pointed out to me that there was a whole industry. I think her, her famous line to me was, it's not called the music music, it's called the music business. There actually is a whole industry, right? Because for me, music had just been what I loved. Music had yeah. been like so many people, right? It had been my savior in high school and what I gravitated towards, what I was passionate about, what I spent all my time doing. And so my roommate told me that there was a whole industry and I was introduced to a friend's uncle who was a music lawyer. 
And when I told him I wanted to be part of the music business, he told me that I should go to law school. And I did well on the LSATs and I got in and I showed up at law school and I went to the office of career services and I said, I would like to be a music lawyer. And she said, that's nice, dear. Cravath will be here on Friday. And, <laughs> and I finally, after oh, a disastrous trip to New York, I knew nothing about the business. And so I copied down the addresses on the back of CDs and walked around Manhattan and left my resume with some lovely receptionists at the various record companies. And that did me no good. And I finally got a break because I wrote to Clive Davis at Arista Records who passed my resume along. And I was fortunate enough to meet someone who became a mentor to me. We bonded over our love of REM, our shared love of REM. And he gave me a summer uh, internship. And my plea to him was, I've changed the trajectory of my life. I'm in law school. I left New York. I moved to Boston. I've signed up for three years and some nice tuition payments, all because I think I want to be in the music industry. And I don't actually know what it means. And so I'm on the outside looking in. Will you please give me the opportunity to see whether or not I've made a great career choice or the worst decision of my life? And he gave me an internship. Well, now that you know, like what it is like to be in the business, like what's your normal workday like? If you have like such a thing as a normal workday. I don't. There's no normal, which is what I love about it. I would say I think I have the best job in the world. I really do. And that's in large part. I, I've been very fortunate. I think as you look back and try and as I look back and try and think about was this a logical progression? No. I mean, it's all worked really nicely. And I've been very fortunate to work for great people. And that's the thing as I think about it. If I were starting out now, I would think a lot about is who do you work for? What's that culture? What is it like? And I, you know, I have the best boss in the world. He yeah. is um, smarter than I am, which is a great quality in a boss. He is incredibly experienced knowledgeable, has a lot of influence, which certainly makes it, you know, people, people take your calls <laughs> more <laughs> based on your, your uh, email address sometimes. Um, but there's no, what I love about it is there, there is no normal, right? And we also yeah. have a diverse portfolio of companies. Right. What I liked from the beginning was that I felt like I was included as a business partner and an operator. And that's what I figured out in my career that I really enjoyed. I really yeah. enjoyed being part of the process, problem solving, and not just from a legal perspective, but also from a business operational, occasionally creative, but perspective. But I love being part of something. Um, and the yeah. company I'm part of now with a is very mission-driven, right? It is how do we make life better for the people who create music and the fans who enjoy it. It sounds like the way you've said it is that you've also built this kind of perfect role for yourself that you really thrived in. What kind of skills have you really relied upon most, like legal or, you know, otherwise social, like to help kind of face the kind of day-to-day -day challenges that you have uh, in your job? For anyone who grew up in the music business in the years that I did, I think flexibility and adaptability, right? It's an industry that has been changed tremendously 
the technological changes that have taken place have affected all of us, right? All of our lives are different. But the music business was sort of the canary in the coal mine, right, of the digital revolution. It was very small content that was very easy to download. And we had to be, everyone had to figure out how to adapt. And I think that's the people who have done well. I think those who are resistant to change. And look, it was a it was a great business before, but you know, you don't look for change when things are going well, especially at the time. I was on the record label side and recorded music was doing extremely well when I got into the business. And then we released perfect digital copies into the marketplace. And then the internet was born and they were easy to distribute and easy to download. And it was a difficult time. It's always difficult when you have consolidation and when you're helping to run companies. Like that means you make difficult decisions about people's compensation and about whether people continue to have jobs and whether or not you sign artists and what kind of deals you give them. All incredibly difficult. And I don't mean to belittle that, but I will say that I think it forced us to think about things differently. It forced the industry as a whole to think about the business models, right? You had We had shifted from a sales business, right? When I got into the business, our job was to convince you to go to a store and buy a record. It's a pretty high barrier to entry, right? We have, there yep. have to be enough impressions and touch points, whether that's radio or an article or word of mouth or a live performance, something that motivates you back in the day to go actually go physically into a store and part with, call it $15. But when we convinced you to do it, the profit margins were very high. We've switched entirely from a sales model to a subscription model. And there were a lot of people who didn't think, I remember sitting in rooms with people who said, no one will ever rent music. Everyone wants to own it and hold it in the palm of their hand. And that's all changed. So I would say those looking back, being flexible, having a willingness to adapt has been very important. Being a problem solver, right? Which I think you learn pretty early on that if you become someone who issues edicts and puts up obstacles, people, especially creative people, will just go around you. If you're not there to help them realize their vision, even if you have to modify or help them or put up guardrails, then you're not a valuable asset to them. And so they'll just avoid they'll just avoid you and they'll come to you afterwards when it's a mess. So I oh. think being willing to listen, problem solve, a lot of patience, right? One of our companies is a performance rights organization, the first new performance rights organization in over seven decades, global music rights, which I'm exceedingly proud of having been a small part of. It it stands for <laughs> you can the idea that you can run a great business and still be great to music creators. The two are not at odds. You can do both. You can have a good business and still pay songwriters really well. But you know, to be the first entrant in seventy plus years, everybody's throwing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I picture us now on a hill, and there are people just throwing darts and rocks. Yeah. And, you know, and and we succeeded, but it was, it took a lot of tenacity. Yeah. Well, I mean, you answered really what I was kind of really curious about, which was, it seems like being a lawyer in this position, it's really not so much 
you leading the discussion and dictating their next steps, but being more, it seems like a collaboration with the client that you have. Is it, does that perspective like vary depending on particular clients? Are there more clients that are kind of just tell me what to do? Or do you find most of the time that you're really kind of working hand in hand, working alongside with with whatever, you know, uh, songwriter or kind of young artist or people around in this industry? Hmm. I'm not, I, you know, I think everyone's, everyone is different, right? And, and when people choose a representative, whether that's a lawyer or a manager or a business manager, some people choose people who reflect themselves. They choose yeah. representatives who represent them. And some choose representatives who will will represent them in a way they're not comfortable in representing themselves, right? Some yeah. people hire a lawyer or a manager because they don't want to be the one taking difficult positions, right? So I yeah. I don't know how to answer it. I think the you always have to be collaborative. I I don't know anyone who's successful in any facet who is unwilling to learn who it, or who is dictate. That doesn't mean that sometimes you don't you do have to be decisive. Law school is really great training for all of the skills I just described. It certainly teaches you about perseverance and tenacity. Mm-hmm. It teaches you about collaboration. It te- right and working with others. It but it does teach you how to and it teaches you how to think through issues. That's the big goal, right? We all learn our first year to spot issues. Mm-hmm. But particularly where I think law school is now with more of an emphasis also on practical gaining pl- practical experiences. You learn, I think, in law school how to go beyond spotting and start to solve and think through issues. Um, and that logic and that patience, I think, are crucial. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, issue spotting, going through issues, kind of just a little hypothetical. Like, so when advocating for a client, like, how do you approach a situation where you might think that whatever an artist's desires are, are not actually in their best interest, or it might open them up to potential legal liabilities? How do you really like approach that balance, like kind of providing caution for them? You have to remember that your role is to advise and give advice, but you do have to be strong in giving that advice. I have one, there was one artist that I was working with and I forgot that. And I actually said, I don't want my name on this, which was a silly thing to say because I wasn't signing the contract. The artist was, but I was so caught up in part of the contract that I thought was unfair that I said to the artist, I don't want to be affiliated with this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put my name on this. And their response was, uh, you know, I understand that, but you're not putting your name on it. I am. And by the way, I need to eat, right? I need, I need to get started. And so I appreciate and didn't say, didn't articulate it exactly like this, but, you know, appreciate what you're going to say, what you're saying, but I just need to get started. And if this is so terrible, if it if it actually matters, if I'm successful and it matters, you guys will fix it down the road. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that actually answered the no, question. No, it, it does. And it, it opens up 
something that I've been curious about as well. I mean, you can tell too with a lot more kind of young artists, like the queens are like, you know, they've got to eat and they got to like really kind of break into it. Like, what do you think are the most important legal issues right now that are facing young artists or songwriters? Oh, there are so many. Um, so what are the most important issues facing artists today? It's a loaded question. So if yeah, there's no, anything... It's hard to prioritize. The, so the world has changed, right? The consumption of music has changed. I think artists have to be much more savvy than they used to be, or maybe they should be, right? Because we are there are lots of stories and lots of documentaries about artists who made certain mistakes and then felt like they regretted it for the rest of their career. But there, the good news is I think there's a lot of awareness about that now. And I think as you, so I think the most important, actually, I don't think artists, I think they have to have good representatives who can prioritize and describe or translate what those issues are. In some ways, even though the industry has changed, I feel like I'm about to contradict myself. The fundamentals are the same. You have certain rights. As a creator of music, you have certain rights. You And understanding them and understanding the value of them is incredibly important. I spoke at Berkeley School of Music, and I think given my job, there were a number of um, prospective artists who were asking me loaded questions about, isn't it terrible that that a label will own the copyright in my recording and it's my recording? And I think they expected me to, to jump up and say, that is terrible. And what I said instead was, but that's a decision. And if, and if what you're gaining is not worth what you're giving up, don't make that decision. Yeah. Right. And if you do try and the other thing I would say is try and make your decisions have as short an impact as possible. Right. So Taylor Swift, who's been very, was very vocal about, she didn't own her, her copyrights on her initial recordings. She wished she had, and she wished she had the opportunity to buy them. The good news for Taylor Swift is she's so incredibly talented and she's at a point in her career where she's able to do something about it. Yeah. Right. So yes, would I have loved for her to own the copyrights in her original recordings? Yes. But what's great is, I mean, she's incredibly smart in addition to being incredibly talented and she figured it out and she figured yeah. it out. And so now she knows, unfortunately, I think a lot of artists figure it out at the end of their career. And she has the good fortune and the talent to be in a position where with her career, where going forward, she's, she's dictating different terms. Yeah. And especially now, I mean, she's been making headlines. I think her tour tickets right now are going for tens of thousands of dollars. So yeah. that definitely is empowered. Um, what I've really admired about your work, too, is the way that you've been trying to go and empower these artists. I know like as a founder of the Music Artists Coalition, you've led these important legislative initiatives for musicians. So, so you know, the Music Modernization Act tried to help get the FAIR Act passed. And then you recently were able to help get past the RAP Act which is very interesting. Uh, I was just curious to say, like, how do you work with the coalition to determine which initiatives will best support artists and what issues do you hope to tackle in the future? Great questions. The The issues kind of hit us over the head, I have to say. It's um, 
So we have a broad membership um, and our membership will sometimes surface issues. I think a lot of times the issues come from our board members who are dealing every day, right? So managers and artists who are on the front lines and lawyers um, who are on the front lines every day and dealing with the things that frustrate them, right? And and looking for solutions as, you know, and that's sort of when I look at, again, global music rights or the other companies we have, that's the founding principle is there's an issue or a concern that we have for music creators, and we have to try and come up with a solution for it. So the Music Artists Coalition is the same way. When we look at the things that I think are most difficult for our music creators, we just want to take them on. Um, I think that, and, and one thing I, I love is I feel like artists are, and their representatives are becoming better advocates for themselves. There is more artist advocacy now, I think, than there has ever been. Because being an artist is by definition a solo sport, right? And you, unless you're, if you spend time doing advocacy, no one's going to pay you a salary, right? I was on a phone call with another advocacy group and I said something about my paycheck. And there was a songwriter on the call who said, what's that? Right. And it's a stark reminder of so artists, because it's a solo sport mm-hmm. and because you're not creating, which is your job. Right. Yep. And you're not going to get paid. No one's going to pay you a salary. So I think that for a law, you know, there have been some notable exceptions of artists who have taken the time and the energy to stand up on behalf of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now artists are realizing that they're having advocacy and strength in numbers is really important. So the Music Artist Coalition has done a lot of tremendous work with the Songwriters of North America, which is another advocacy group, and the Black Music Action Coalition. And I think we're now really helping music creators find their voice um, or when they're busy, right? Because that's what they can do is write songs and create music, which is what I can't do. I love having a group of people, some of whom are also music creators, some of whom are the people around who support. I love having this group of folks who's just, and we don't always have the same issues, the different advocacy groups, but I love having folks who can look at things through an uncompromised lens, right? Right. That's really incredible. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I can kind of wrap things up now. There is just a fun one that I was curious of. Do you listen Do you listen to music when you work? Uh, and if so, I know you're a big Harry Styles fan, but what have you else? <laughs> if you, if you, you know, pl- like play music while you work, what have you been listening to? I do listen to music. I mean, Harry's house has just absolutely <laughs> been on repeat. Uh, and it's not just me. I, I mean, I think at some point they're going to suspect that our household is, you know, just a bot trying to drive. Strings for Harry because between my daughter and I, we play it um, so much. Yeah, <laughs> I've been listening to. I really well. We, we have a company that's focused on partnering with legendary artists, iconic artists, um, and that that's fantastic. It's been it's been great. I always went to the Beach Boys, but going deeper on the Beach Boys has been fantastic. Linda Ronstadt, I am so. We've partnered with Linda Ronstadt and it's 
just been such a great reminder of someone. She was not a songwriter, but her voice made those songs. She made those songs her own. And she was, I think, the biggest selling touring act of the 70s. I mean, she was a boss lady and on the cover of Time magazine and just so tremendous. And so having just done a deal with her, I've been, um, that's been fun to go back and listen. I can't, I, I tend to, when if I'm, if I'm working, it does, I usually listen to music that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Music discovery and listening for the first time. Um, so a lot of, I've been very female oriented, a lot of Phoebe Bridgers as well. Been listening to Waxahachie and a record that um, she made with another woman called Plains. You know, I love me some Lizzo. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> Who, uh, no one. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, you know, so oh, been listening to a lot of Anderson Pack too. Oh yeah. He's my he's my favorite. Um yeah, oh, I, I'm obsessed true. with him. I was supposed to go see him at Red Rocks, but my sister at a high school graduation. Um oh, she listens how dare to she? Yeah, hopefully she doesn't listen to us and know that. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what editing is for. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, but man, he is fantastic. Yeah, I saw him. I think he was performing at the Grammys or he did last year, I think I saw him. He was he's he, he's really incredible. Oh yeah, as part of Silk Sonic last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a great record. I yeah, that was a great record. Yeah, I'll have to listen to that after this. So, last question now, just based on yes, your yes. experience, and you know, just really appreciate all of this. But what is your advice to students interested in a career in music law? It's a great time, first of all, <laughs> right? So, I would say about midway through, you know, the the industry collapsed in terms of recorded music, right? So there was lots of piracy. Uh, there were the major labels consolidated down to three. Um, so there were fewer jobs. And I remember one of my friends in the business saying, don't you feel guilty teaching a class promising these young, hopeful students that they can have a career in the music business? And I said, right, when there weren't as many jobs. And my answer was no, There, there's as long as there's an industry, there are going to be jobs. There were fewer jobs then. But my students who wanted them found them, right? And now it's much more plentiful. My advice is talk to the people in your class, but also, right, the class above where, depending on where you are, talk to people in the law school who also want to be in music and then found the people who have graduated. We have a Music 303. That's the name of the class I teach at the law school. There is a Music 303 network out there that is so much bigger than I am now, right? It is folks who came to UCLA wanting to do UCLA law, wanting to do music. They found their way to do it. And they've created this network and they are the people now who hear about jobs. So you find those people, you stay committed to them. If you're really determined to be in the music business, you will be. I don't know one person that I have spoken to in my career who was determined to be in the music business, who stuck with it, who didn't end up doing it. Yeah. Will happen. It sometimes it takes longer for some folks than others, but you know, get the experience, get the internships, build that network, find anybody else who went to UCLA Law School who's doing it now, stay on their radar because the business is growing and expanding. So there's a there's a lot more opportunity. Yeah. 
And on that, for any UCLA law students that are listening, definitely take Professor Jenko's music law class. Incredible teacher, incredibly nice person. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I, you know, we're honored to have you on to hear your perspective on the music industry and all your important work within entertainment law and just helping and supporting UCLA law students. Just really appreciate your time. Oh yeah, I should have started with that, right? The answer should be, how do you <laughs> take my damn class? <laughs> yeah, take the class, come on. And we got the cursing, we're in, we got everything. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's such a pleasure. I I didn't go to UCLA, but I am a, I have a lot of uh, connection to the community now. I love my students, my former students who are taking over the music business. And I also, I, I love, and I hope to build more of a connection with the Herb Albert School at the undergrad. And, you know, hopefully we look back 10 years from now and the face of the music business has been changed by lots of UCLA folks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again. Thanks again. My pleasure. pleasure. All right. Bye.